Hello and welcome to God's Word During Exile. This is a uh, group of pastors who are going to try to not act like six-year-olds today while we talk about the uh, Sixth Commandment. Actually, it's probably just me who's uh, going to try to not remind themselves of, you know, those middle school health classes and giggle through what we're going to talk about today. We're going to try to talk about it as serious as possible uh, in hopes that it will help our listeners uh, to understand what the Sixth Commandment is uh, and why it it is a commandment and how Jesus uh, continues to talk through that commandment on the Sermon on the Mount. So that's uh, basically where we're going to go for today. And uh, I just wanted to remind you guys that uh, as we move ahead through the commandments, if you guys have any questions specifically geared towards any of those commandments, you can go ahead and email us. Uh, no question is too ridiculous, and we would love it. We'd love to hear from you guys, and uh, we would love to hear how you guys have been tracking with us as we've been going through the commandments. Uh, so be, feel free to email us, God's Word during exile, all one word at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you all of you. And uh, I think that is where my intro is going to stop because I know that we have a lot to cover today. So Mike's over here, Matt's over here, mm. Ben's over here, and uh, we are ready to roll. If you were on top and everybody was in a different spot, that would have been perfect. <clears throat> <laughs> on that note, let's open up in a word of prayer. I'll pray. How about that? Wow, oh, Father God, thanks for today, and thanks again for this time that uh, that we can spend looking at the Catechism, looking at Your Word. Lord, I thank you for this uh, this group of guys that I get to study with and talk about Scripture with. Uh, they are a blessing to me, and I thank you for them, and I thank you for their insights that you've given them. God, as we spend time in Your Word, show us our sin, point us again to Christ and everything He accomplished for us, and uh, by Your Word, strengthen us for Your service. We pray this in Your holy name, Amen. Amen. So you mean to tell me that if I <clears throat> was right, I wouldn't be wrong? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sweet. Exactly. Uh, isn't that usually the the way it works? If you're right, you're not. Not wrong. if you're married. <laughs> Don't you know better than that, Ben? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> we weren't planning to go that way in the adultery, right? Idea, but... You know. So let here, me... let me let me just share with you. You ready? Here, here's how it works. Mike's opinion. Lindsay's opinion. If their opinions differ, Lindsay is right. All right. If they're the same, Lindsay is right. And if they're both incorrect, then Mike is wrong. Ah, That's oh. So, yeah. it's it huh? Hey, you know what? <laughs> I knew it going into it. And I'm going to be honest with you. There are plenty of times in which uh, I am fully aware that I am the reason why that stereotype is fully embraced by most people. <laughs> it is and I think we need to say it again that Lindsay is a saint of all saints. I mean, the greatest of the yeah. saints. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, oh, dear goodness. 
All right. So sixth commandment is where we are. Ben, you got your catechism laying there, just sitting open. Would you mind reading the sixth commandment and uh, the what does this mean section? Sure. Shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. All right. Thank you, Ben. Uh, you know, the, the thing that always surprises me when I read the Sixth Commandment in Luther's small catechism is, is that, that he includes what we say along with what we do. Well, I mean, it's related to that. Uh, but it doesn't mention at all having an affair with those specific words, right? Like the, the first thing I'd imagine is don't commit adultery. Don't don't cheat on your spouse would be like the first words if I was writing uh, a what does this mean section. But we don't see those exactly. Instead, Luther begins like all of them with fear and loving God. And then he talks about living a sexually pure and decent life, which seems to be much larger than the scope of don't cheat on your wife right uh the, that's kind of what i was getting at too if uh he specifies in what we say and do because i think a lot of times when we think about adultery we think primarily in terms of actions that we do and and yes we sh we should think in those terms but we should also think about how do we talk about this? Right. So, so having a, a sexually pure and decent life includes how we speak about sex and sexual relationship, right? So that we're not crude and coarse in our, in our speech about, mm -hmm. um, about sex and sexuality that we are, that we are honorable and decent in how we speak about it. So I said that was, that's always an interesting thing is that we don't often think about the, the language aspect. Of I think, ben, are you specifically rebuking Natal as he's going to giggle like a sixth grader through this? Is that, is that where that's coming from? I mean, I guess you could take it that way if he wants. Yeah, to, I feel that. <laughs> I feel personally. General attacked. statement. Okay. <laughs> you should. General statement. Allow the Holy Spirit to use it, however, but I'm really talking about you. <laughs> the angel of God is waiting to strike you down and cut you in half. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that bringing this up is good because I, as Ben was talking about that or emphasizing what we say, uh, I just had flashbacks to hearing about uh, uh, a guy who was at work and, um, you know, as is the case in a lot of blue collar kind of work, guys had to do a lot of coarse joking uh, about stuff. And, you know, some guy made some gross kind of sexual joke about this guy's wife or something like that. And um, the the husband, you know got very upset and confronted him strongly and called him on it. And he was not going to have anything to do with that kind of language about his wife. And I think at that case, I, I don't know all of what happened, but I mean, he was trying to defend the honor of his wife and he wasn't about to be talking about her or, or any other woman like that with the guys at work. But this is something that, you know, we probably are all too familiar with uh, and, 
on the radio, TV, conversations at work and at home, you know, this kind of stuff is part of regular life. Um, and I'm sure our listeners have their own experiences hearing or participating in that kind of talk. Um, and but we're going to find it impacts a lot of different areas of our life. And and so. I guess I'll leave it at that because I know we have some verses we want to read um, yes. that will bring that to attention too. Yep, we're going to jump into Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I love this chunk of scripture for so many reasons, um, just all of Matthew 5, really. Uh, but one of the fun things I generally do if I'm ever teaching this uh, with a group of people is after we get done reading it, I'll say, what do you guys think? Did Jesus add to the commandments in the Old Testament? Did he make the commandments harder? Or do you think he just explained them correctly? And almost like without doubt, like the, the crowd is just split. Half of the people think Jesus made things harder to accomplish. And half of the people say like, no, Jesus just explained it right. Uh, what's the correct answer to that? What's Jesus doing in Matthew 5? Is he making life harder for us? Or is he just explaining how it's always been? Well, I guess in a in a sense, both are, are true. Um, and what I mean is that when the law of God is rightly taught and expounded, it does make things incredibly difficult <laughs> for us. <laughs> and, and that's precisely the, the point. Yeah. So, so Jesus is his contrast. So why don't we just check? <laughs> I'm tripping over my own thoughts. Why don't we read the text first and then we can get into that. Gotcha. Some of the, the details of the I've, language. I've got the lust section up uh, right in front of me. So I'll read it from the English Standard Version, uh, starting in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be... Uh, that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Okay. So sometimes I think where where people get tripped up or confused sometimes is that language when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And I think kind of the the natural assumption a lot of times is the is that Jesus is contrasting what is uh, in the Old Testament, and he's adding something to it that wasn't there, right? So that his contrast is between this is what it said in the Old Testament, this is what I'm saying to you. That's not what Jesus is doing. Um, so in the scriptures, when the Old Testament is being referred to or, or quoted from, the, the language that is used is, it is written, or it stands written. Okay, That is in contrast to, you have heard that it was said. So what Jesus is getting at, what he is drawing the contrast with, is not the Old Testament, but the oral tradition and teachings of 
of the various rabbis that had come into uh, into play at that at that time. So it's the same kind of thing when Jesus accuses the Pharisees of teaching as commandments of God the traditions of men, or he'll speak of the traditions of the elders. Like this is what he's talking about. So you know, because we don't want to pit New Testament against Old Testament. We want to remember that the the Jesus who is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount is the Jesus who gave the law to Moses. Okay, it's his law. Um, all of the Old Testament is his word. Okay, so he's not contradicting himself. He's not saying there was some flaw, you know, in what I gave to Moses. You know, it's the same guy, right? And so, you know, and that, and that phrasing too, but I say to you is part of what is kind of astonishes the crowds, the authority with which Jesus teaches, right? Because the rabbis wouldn't speak that way. They wouldn't say, I say to you, they would refer to previous teaching and so on and so forth. They would speak in more of a passive way, indirect way in that. But Jesus is saying, I myself am teaching you this on my authority and that's a huge part of the whole sermon on the mount here is that jesus astounds everybody that that he doesn't speak with somebody else's authority he is speaking with his own and it's shocking everyone yeah so so what does he say so he says you have heard that it was said so again you know the tradition of the elders the teaching of the rabbis you shall not commit adultery and he says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what he's getting at is, you know, and we, we're very familiar with this kind of stuff too, but, but what he's dealing with is a very external approach to the law. So, you know, just like with, you know, in the previous section with anger, for example, you know, a very external approach to the law regarding murder says, well, as long as I haven't murdered someone, as long as I haven't actually killed someone, I have kept the law. And Jesus is saying, no, it goes deeper than that. Same thing here. So the idea was as long as I haven't cheated on my wife, I haven't committed adultery. I'm good to go. Right. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is saying, no, you aren't understanding Moses rightly. He's saying, basically what he's saying here is, this is how you should have understood Moses. And again, I know, because I gave him the, the law to give to you, right? And so, and so the law of God is not satisfied simply by external compliance, right? But it goes to the very heart. So that Jesus says, again, Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. So, so this is not visible to anyone else. It, it may become visible in overt action or in words, but the lust part, it's not visible to anyone except for God, of course, right? And, and Jesus is saying that wicked desire, that sinful desire is breaking the commandment. And what that forces us to do then is say, well, if that's the case, who keeps this commandment, right? Because you can go the other way too. Like just because the, the man is specified here doesn't mean that 
that women don't also lust. So, but just so understand, like this is a human condition. So, if lust that illicit, you know, sinful sexual desire is a breaking of the sixth commandment, who keeps it? Right. And that's and, exactly the point. <laughs> and this is to emphasize the seriousness of it. He talks about, you know, your if your eye causes you to stumble, you know, it would be better to, uh, or I guess, let's see here. Um, yeah, to yeah, to tear it out and throw it away. Jesus isn't promoting self mutilation here, and and uh, that's not what he wants you to actually do, but but to recognize that uh, there are eternal spiritual consequences to this sin of lust, and um, and for those who do not repent of it, uh. And and are be for and if those who aren't forgiven of this sin, uh, it is deserving of the fires of hell, and um and so in order to not commit this sin, it would be better for you to lose your eye or your hand, or whatever, um because the it's that serious. Um, so we're talking about um, you know, damnable sin here in lust. Yeah, it'd be very similar to what Jesus says, you know, if anyone, um, whoever causes one of these little ones, you know, who believe in me, these little children, babies who believe in me to stumble, that is to lose their faith, it would be better for that person if millstone was hung around their neck and they were drowned in the depths of the sea, right? So he's, he's illustrating, you know, as you were saying very well, Matt, the, the seriousness of sin. And that's, and that's important because I think we're, we're often tempted, like, you know, especially, you know, as we were talking about a little bit before, Matt, as you were, you were talking about before, um, especially among, among guys, it's often just kind of, you know, accepted that, oh, we're, you know, we're going to talk this way about women. We're going to think this way about about women and oh it's no big deal that's just what we do kind of a thing and and Jesus saying no it's not no big deal it's a really big deal mm -hmm. um and and part of that is that you know women are created in the image of God right they're not objects for our pleasure and and to lust after them um you know sexually is not is not to love them it's not to honor them it is to to lower them to the level of an object that serves your own selfish desire right and god does not want us to think that way and act that way and speak that way about his creature Mm -hmm. is this you know human being that he that he built from adam's rib right you know that that language of of building shows that intent that design that care you know and and man and woman equally created in the image of god e with equal dignity and so this this selfish lustful consumption of one another 
is not in line with God's creational design, um, both in regard to the dignity of human beings, but also in his creational design for uh, the sexual desire and the sexual relationship, it has that specific context, husband, wife, anything outside of that, whether it's, you know, again, affects how we speak, how we think, the desires of our hearts, as well as our actions, anything outside of that um, is outside of God's intent and design. And we can say even within within marriage, this kind of stuff can come in too, where, where husbands objectify their wives. This happens, unfortunately. And so wherever this lust is found, whether it's direct, like whoever it's directed toward, this is serious business. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think just to jump in on what you're saying there, Ben, I, I feel like that hit, hits home for me really strongly when I consider my own family as a husband and a father. If I thought of somebody treating my wife or my daughters, I have four daughters like that, it makes me sick and angry. And, um, and you know, so, you know, I, I want to protect them and, and I would never think that that stuff is appropriate uh, if it were directed towards my loved ones. And that's how God sees uh, each of us. And we think in this case, we're talking about girls, you know, they are his, they are his daughters, right? And uh, we are his children. And so God, God loves us. And anytime we objectify somebody and abuse them and use them like an object for our pleasure um, is a horrible crime. And it, it breaks God's heart and it makes him angry and, uh, and rightfully so. So this is no innocent little game where nobody's being hurt. And even if you think this is just in your mind and your heart and that you're getting away with it in secret, you're not, and it's not okay. And so, yeah, and this would, would stretch obviously into the, the realm of, um, pornography as well mm-hmm. yeah, certainly which is a plague on our society as well um mm-hmm. and so yeah so it touches you know all areas of our of our life whether it's visible to others or not and because what we talk about is visible to god yeah. <laughs> and, and what we talk about pornography i don't know where else we um point this out maybe but just to mention that that we are recognizing that there's the sin of just lusting Mm -hmm. you know but uh, and and so that is a damnable offense against god but we also have to recognize on the other side of that picture or video or whatever are real human beings that are being exploited and abused and in many cases women and children maybe boys whatever that are being human trafficked I don't know if that's proper grammar, but the uh, human trafficking is a real problem. And most of the time, these people are being abused and exploited, uh, even if they are willingly participating in it. It is a terrible abuse against them. And for them to get to that point, they have been hurt and lied to. They're lying to themselves or whatever. It's horrible. 
um, and there's real people being hurt by this. Yeah, there's no, <clears throat> there's no ethical way to, to uh, consume pornography, right? I've heard right. that phrase. I don't remember who it was, but try and get your pornography ethically sourced. There is no ethical source. Right. It is always sinful. It is always a violation of this commandment. It is always doing damage to yourself. And whether or not the person realizes it, that's filming the content or part of it, they are being damaged by it as well, right? Mm -hmm. I, that last statement brings up so many more questions for me. There's, there is ethical pornography, like that people are telling you to source your pornography ethically. What does that even mean? Well, I think in the context it was used, it was just make sure that whatever it is that you are consuming is not like people that have been sexually trafficked or, you know, or, or human trafficked. It's people Strange. that have willingly decided to hmm. uh, engage in um, the making of pornography. That's fascinating. I think, That's I think what I was going to say. I think I know who said it, but I don't want to throw the name out there in case I'm wrong and throw somebody in. Let's, that's fine because we don't need to. No, that's not that's not the the chief no. point. Um, but yeah, just to but what we really want to see, you know, in all of this too is like how how deep the law of God goes, right? So, like Hebrews tells us that you know the word of God is sharper than any two edged sword, right? Piercing between you know joints and and marrow and so on and so forth, right? Dividing um, between soul and spirit. spirit yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's so, and that's a point that none of us can define. Nobody can tell you with with any kind of absolute certainty the difference between soul and spirit. And yet I had a college professor that tried. Yeah. Well, was, and some do. And I'm not saying that they don't have any like uh cases, but it's a mysterious thing, right? Only God really knows where that you know distinction could be. Um, and yet the word of God goes there. Yeah. So it goes to the very depths of our being, the very intention and desires. And, and so just, just think about this. Um, obviously we, we know that, that we can, you know, intentionally call to mind lustful thoughts and, and images and such. But we also know that they come unbidden too, right? So how in the world do you keep a commandment of God that convicts you on such a level that even your unbidden thoughts and desires hold you accountable to you and you've broken the the law of god like and and that's really that's really the point we're trying to get at with that is the impossibility right there's no way that we can say with any kind of honesty that we have kept the law of god because even even if we were really great and disciplined in our thoughts and desires which we're lousy at doing but even if we were super disciplined with that there are going to be thoughts and desires that come up unbidden because we are sinful human beings right and so it's impossible <laughs> mm -hmm. and that's the point 
Yeah, what, what you're talking about, Ben, reminds me of Jesus and the rich young ruler. You know, he says, what do I need to do to get saved? Jesus says, keep all the law. He goes, huh, I did that. Right. And then Jesus says, well, why don't you give up your money and follow me? And gets at the heart of it, gets to the core, like that man's idol was his money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we externally, it can look like we've done it all. We've completed everything. We're great people. I mean, I can't, but maybe you guys can keep up that facade and keep those plates spinning. Uh, but externally, we can make ourselves look pretty good. Internally, we never we never fix it. You know, mm -hmm. we're still yeah. And something we want to be careful with here is is confusing righteousness before God and righteousness before man. So sometimes people have gone this way. Well, if Jesus is saying that it's as bad to lust as it is to commit adultery, well, if I've lusted, I may as well just go commit the act, right? That's confusing righteousness before God and external civil civic righteousness so there is a point to the external keeping of the law in its proper place that is um i don't remember where i put my phone uh, ben what if it's god calling ben it's probably god ben what are you are you trying to mute it or remember what you were talking about I'm trying to remember what i was talking about you were talking okay. about the external keeping of the law and how yeah. it is important. Like, yeah, just because I hate my neighbor does not mean I should go out and stab him to death. It has very different horizontal consequences right. before yeah. mankind, so, right? Yep. So when we're talking on, on an earthly level, horizontally in relation to other human beings, obviously, then it's not as bad to to lust as it is to actually commit adultery. It's not as bad to hate as it is to actually kill someone. But that kind of righteousness means nothing before God, right? Before God, that distinction doesn't hold. Before God, to lust and to commit adultery, you're both guilty of damnation on both counts um so on earth horizontally speaking in terms of civic righteousness and and living together in in you know peace and and dignity and so on and so forth and in, in living well together yeah it's a lot worse to to actually commit adultery than it is to have a lustful thought but when it comes to righteousness before God, those distinctions go away because God doesn't distinguish between saying, oh, well, I'll just grade on the curve. You know, well, you just you just had these these thoughts, but you never acted on it. So I'm not going to, you know, give you as bad of a grade. No, before God, it's all or nothing. Before one another, of course, there's distinction between severity of, of sin in terms of consequences. And so we want to keep those two things distinct. Um and separate because I've, I have heard, you know, people try to, um, you know, cast, you know, present Jesus as, as not a good moral teacher, as it were, because they say, oh, well, it's clearly not as bad to hate somebody as to kill someone. And Jesus says, well, if you hated them, you murdered them. And, and then people try to defend that by 
well, you know, of course there's, you know, varying degrees of, of sin and what Jesus is really getting at is he's, he's including the, the desire and the motive behind the action. And I think on both of those counts, it's a misunderstanding. It's one thing when you're talking about our relationship with other people, we do this, you know, all the time, you know, it doesn't, whether our motive is right or not, as long as we, you know, obey the law or good citizens as it were, you know, um, that's good for society. That's good for us living together. Um, you know, it's good that, you know, maybe I hate my neighbor, but I don't kill him. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> right. But, but we're talking about something else entirely when it comes to righteousness before God, then those distinctions go away. And I think that confusion on that has led to, you know, mishandling these texts a lot. So we have to keep that, that in mind that, and that's what Jesus is getting at that, you know, the, the people who are listening to him, the, well, he's teaching his disciples chiefly. I mean, there are crowds there too, but, but as the sermon opens, Jesus is specifically teaching his disciples. He's saying, you've heard, you know, you've heard it taught and say you were taught and, and such that basically as long as you don't commit the actual act of adultery, you're good before God. That's what Jesus is challenging. He's not saying that it's, that it's bad to not commit adultery, the physical act, but he's saying before God, it's like, just because you have kept the law externally, doesn't mean that you've actually kept the law hmm. in God's sight. And so, and, and his whole point is our tendency, our sinful tendency is to always try to make God's law doable. We want to be able to say, yes, I've done that. I've kept it. I've, I'm righteous. I'm, I'm good to go because I live a pretty good life. And Ben, I think that's God telling you you didn't live a pretty good life, Ben, that you need him. Seems right. And so we want to make the law doable. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's the whole kind of point of, you know, with the whatever it is, the numbers up to now 600 some laws that the that Judaism holds. And it's like, no, you just made a bunch of stuff up so that you could say that you kept it. Right. Like, you know, you can't even, you can't even keep the, the 10, let alone 600 and something like it's, wouldn't it's it, insanity, but that's, it be but we try to, to convince ourselves that, that we can do it. Was it? Wouldn't it just be easier to confess that you can't, wouldn't that be easier than inventing a million laws? Well, you know, it doesn't feel as good. Sin, though, is, sin is not rational. Sin is not, sin is foolish. Right. I mean, that's kind of the whole, the whole thing. Yes. Yes, you said absolutely far better, right? To agree with God. That's what it means to confess. Yes, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Clearly, I cannot do this. I cannot be righteous. Give me Jesus and the and his righteousness. But in our sinful stupidity, we're like, oh no. Aha, here's the solution. I'll just redefine all this stuff so that and I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. And then I'll say, Oh yeah, I'm good to go. So yeah, sin is stupid. It's foolish, right? So, um, yeah. So then, so what do we do with with that, right? Well, Jesus teaches us to 
to pray, right? Forgive us our debts, our sins, right? Um, he tells us that, you know, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So Jesus fulfills the law as our substitute and his righteousness is given to us and being made new creatures in Christ. We begin to keep the law. Always only a beginning, but we do begin to keep the law, but we live in repentance and faith, right? So when we are convicted of sin, we repent. And we trust in Christ. So again, this is the, Luther gives that, that really helpful rhythm in his morning and evening prayers, right? So in the morning, we pray that all of our doings in life may please God. That's our desire as his children, right? It ought to be. Then the whole day is, oops, that didn't work. <laughs> and then at night, forgive me all of my sins where I have done them, right? So that's the cycle of the Christian life. And so the law is meant to be impossible because our only hope, our only solution is Jesus, but we're not going to understand that solution if we think that we can provide the solution by keeping the law. So the law is meant to be impossible. So when we get to that point, like, I can't do this. It's like, exactly. Amen. That's, you know, the law of God has done its work. That's where God wants you to be when he brings his law against you is I can't do that. Mm -hmm. God helped me. Okay. Here's Jesus and his righteousness and his forgiveness. Right. So that's the point. The law isn't given so that we think we can be righteous before God by keeping it. It's given to show us how unrighteous we are mm -hmm. and how much we need Christ and his righteousness and his forgiveness. Awesome. I was going to ask for some gospel, but Ben, you pulled us together at the end and got us right to Christ and landed the plane where it, right where it needed to go. So uh, thanks for tying it up so nicely. That's why we pay Ben the big bucks. It is true. Mm -hmm. And now he's going to get a percentile raise too. I move that we give Ben a 80% raise of what we're currently paying him. Well, you can't that. look this good for free, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh my on that note, you, will you close us up in a word of prayer? Let's do that. Lord, thank you for uh, this word, even though it's a really hard one to hear, because you've told us in your word that uh, every single one of us is an adulterer uh, that deserves the fires of, of hell, uh, eternal punishment. And uh, because every one of us has, if not committed actual adultery um in with our bodies with another person we have all lusted in our heart and and so lord we ask you for forgiveness we cry out and we say we have sinned we can't stop ourselves we will uh, sin again we know we are powerless on our own to uh, to do anything about this uh, but we cry out for your mercy for your help for your forgiveness and Lord, we uh, claim to Jesus and the promises that you've given to us that in Christ, all of us who who uh, cry out his name and confess our sins, that we are forgiven and saved. And so, Lord, we know that is our one and only hope. And, uh, and 
to Jesus we look uh, and cling to. And so um, we rejoice and know that in him we are forgiven. And so in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. See you.